Welcome to The Clappers. This is Andrew Young. And this is Carl Quinn. This week on The Clappers, we talk about Mouse. And we talk about the eyes of Tammy Faye. We talk a little bit about Harriet. We talk about the jam. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, you'll find out. Listen, and we also talk about a Bross doc called When the Screaming Stops. <laughs> it's all here. It Carl's TV. Oh, my TV. Big TV. Oh, He's got course. a big one. I don't want to brag. <laughs> Andrew, it's been a long, long time. Welcome back to Melbourne. The land of the living. Mm. Mm. So I, I still remain in rude health. Very I've good. Somehow, I've somehow avoided to get COVID, uh, unlike others of my acquaintance, mm. friendship. No one in my family's got it so far. So fingers crossed uh, we keep wearing our masks and behaving in a sensible manner, though that doesn't always guarantee you remain COVID-free, does it? It does not, no. I went to England over Christmas. I went to see my family for the first time in four and a half years. I did some gallivanting around, it must be said. Yeah. I, yeah. I, uh, I went to Birmingham, I went to Manchester, I went to London. Stop. <laughs> Nothing says gallivanting like Birmingham. I went to Broome. I went to Broome and I had a lovely time in Broome. Um, that's, that's obviously where you, where you got... Uh, well, it's not actually. Low. I mean, for, for all the gallivanting I did, I actually caught it from my 70-something rallies in London who uh, were going nowhere. Uh, they were going absolutely nowhere. And, uh, and I got it from them. So, um, you know, but I kind of... There was so much of it around, I kind of felt like it was almost inevitable I was going to get it. It made getting home really, really difficult. I had to sure. reschedule my flight, cost me a packet and all the rest. I mean, I would say, you know, my, my experience of this, and it was exactly what I thought it was going to be before I left, I would say, mm. unless you really have to go overseas, you know, for reasons like I haven't seen my family for four and a half years, mm. I would not be doing it. I would not be no. humping, hopping on a plane and going somewhere like, oh, this sounds nice for this time of year. You know, mm-hmm. I just would not be doing that. It's just too... Mm-hmm. Too challenging at the moment. But yeah. I heard over the weekend that Australia is about to fling the doors open to tourists again. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Mm. But I'd be seriously questioning whether the tourists will be rushing to flood through those doors because however difficult it was for me going over there, I'm sure it'll be just as challenging for them coming here. The fact that you can't get travel insurance and the incredible extra costs of the the flight and then rescheduling the flight or cancelling the flight and having to get another flight and then this extra accommodation you have to pay in quarantine, it just makes it completely unfeasible economically. Well, I think most of that stuff has actually um, fallen away. I mean, I, I was actually insured. Um Okay, because I rang said, up to get some. That said, said, I still no had to fork it. out a thousand bucks to get a new flight, um, uh-huh. uh, which will supposedly be reimbursed through uh-huh. not my insurance, but through the airline's insurance. Right. We will see. You know, this I haven't I haven't done it yet. We will see if it actually pans out. It's good that you're back and safe, and we're able to have something of a holiday mm. in the latter latter part of January. Well, twenty hours after I touched down, after all this, you know, kerfuffle. I was camping in the bush and beach, yeah. and it was like, that's awesome. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and that felt like that was when the actual holiday started. Did you get to any parties at number 10? <laughs> <laughs> 
I did not. That's a shame. <laughs> that all was this, uh, all your suffering. Well, that, you know, it's but, a shame that you didn't get to have a couple. I of missed years. those parties by a year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they had more. Those parties, about, those we'll parties that may year. or may not have happened, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out about those uh, alleged parties mm. maybe later on in the year that happened. Look, just a few if weeks back. if um, fifty or so workmates happen to have some beer and wine and cheese and crackers and maybe crack a few jokes and possibly have some music playing in the background. Maybe there's some, you know, close dancing. Um, that, that, that's not a party. That's a work event. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we have seen or have averted our eyes from the video of, I think, their health minister in his own office enjoying some close dancing. Um, so it, it, we know that it goes on. Uh, <laughs> I, did, of power. I don't know if you saw Insiders this morning on the ABC, but oh, there was a lovely no. little clip when they were riffing on the whole, you know, what's the price of a loaf of bread kind of yes. thing. And the clip of <laughs> Boris Johnson saying, a loaf of bread? I, I don't know what, what the price of a loaf of bread is. I can tell you how much a bottle of champagne costs. <laughs> and it was just like everything you needed to know about Boris Johnson was in that little snippet. Well, I, I did I did watch the National uh, Press Club luncheon. Well, I was driving my car and I had the audio of it on and somehow not watching it but listening to it makes it worse. <laughs> like makes makes you yell at the at the putative screen even louder and more fervently when you're not seeing it but you're just hearing it. It was a an amazing an amazing thing to, to listen to. But I, I noticed that on Facebook I, I about seven years ago I had responded to uh, another um, National Press Club uh, lunch and it, it seems to be something that I, I, I'm not aware of but I do on an annual kind of Pavlovian <laughs> basis. I watch it, I get angry about it, I write some weird meaningless screed that no one will understand Understand, and then I get it out of my system. Oh, well done, you. <laughs> <laughs> I love Insiders. It's one of my favourite shows. This morning I had to go to the velodrome uh, and I could not watch Insiders. And I feel that as each hour progresses through the day, it's impacted. So if I watch it tonight at 7 o'clock, it's Sunday, right? Yep. 5 o'clock. If I watch it tonight at 7 o'clock, it's not going to pack the same punch as it would have this morning at <laughs> 9 o'clock. <laughs> Uh, but I do, I do love it. You know, Barnaby Joyce, the people, Barnaby, Barnaby Joyce, the people's choice, <laughs> who speaks to us all with one proud voice. He was supposed to be on this morning. Oh, really? Oh, he, he got was. muzzled. He got well, muzzled. <laughs> either his last, I don't know if people watch Insiders or even know who Barnaby Joyce is, but he is the uh, deputy. <laughs> do any of us know who Barnaby Joyce is? <laughs> and he made a, an excellent um, mathematical um, comparison about. Uh, how, how many percent of people are doing this and how many percent of people are doing that. And he came short by about 10%. And, of course, Barnaby Joyce used to be an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> so that made for some great uh, Twitter jokes for people who like Twitter jokes at the Deputy Prime Minister's expense. Oh, dear. I, I, I love how he's uh, suddenly changed his views on Scott Morrison. You know, well, he's had the a man year who to a year ago a was year. a dreadful liar and hypocrite. <laughs> hypocrite. But now he's okay. He's okay. Now we've, it was AUKUS that brought us together. 
which kind of sounds like a, a, a euphemism of some kind or a contraction for awkward kiss. I'd like but, to see orcas uh, tear them apart, frankly, but anyway, <laughs> moving on, moving on. Yes, let's move on from Insiders. A great show. Turns out that Speezy is a neighbour of ours. My wife saw him walking down our road with his kids coming from the primary school. I was very excited. I mm. love it when, when somebody venerable and famous is lives in my suburb. Fame by association. So, yeah, exactly. I might I might go up and say, look, you wear the same suede desert boots. I, I'm a lover of suede desert boots. <laughs> the same ones every week, mate. Like, really? Anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh, have you read Mouse? M-A-U-S. Mouse? Years and years ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I realised uh, I, I picked it up just the other day from the shelf, looked at the back and realised I paid $16.95 for it. That must have been a long time ago. And it was before Mouse 2 because it doesn't have Mouse 1 on the front. So Mouse is actually two books. The first book ends uh, as Art Spiegelman's mum and dad are going into Auschwitz. How about you frame it for people? What is Mouse? Okay, Mouse is what would now be called a graphic novel, but would have been called Comics with an X by its author, Art Spiegelman, who was part of an underground comics movement in the 80s. He edited uh, comics called Raw, which I have the collection of, which have all kinds of interesting stuff from various artists right across the spectrum. And he wrote a ostensible memoir uh, of his himself, but also of his father, basically writing down his father's stories of life in Poland uh, up to and including the Second World War. And it was it won the Pulitzer Prize. It's never been out of print. It's a it's a tremendous book, and I think it it really paved the way for a lot of uh, realist type of comics. Um, Joe Sacco, I think, has done a few on uh, Sarajevo and Palestine, and there's uh, there's, there's others, per- Persepolis, um, which look at you know people's lives under harsh uh, autocratic regimes. Uh, this book is about, of course, the Jews' experience of the Nazis, but it's also about one man and his cantankerous father and the relationship that they, that they have that's terrible. It's about his mother's suicide. It's about his own... Um, uh, time in a mental institution and it's it's a marvellous book and I picked it up just the other day for the umpteenth time because I'd read that in the United States a Tennessee school board had decided to ban it from being used as a text in teaching uh, the Holocaust to students in what we would call high school. I don't know what they what they call their... their middle school, isn't it, I think? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But... It was interesting because there's naturally, of course, you know what happens when you ban a book. People go and seek it out. Yes, top of the top of the lists, uh, the book selling lists. All of a sudden, a book that like came out, I think, in 1986 or something. Uh, one comic store in Tennessee initially said, "Right, any kid who wants to come and borrow this book, they're welcome. We have a couple on the shelf; they can just borrow it and bring it back." Then he decided to start a GoFundMe campaign, maybe raise 20 grand to go and buy some to give out to kids. I don't know, maybe stand outside the school with a packet of cigarettes and a copy of Mouse. But he ended up raising 80 grand in. Day, which is the funny thing of America. On the one hand, it'll ban a book as uh, brilliant, 
as poignant, as educational, as important as Mouse. Uh, but then you'll have somebody who raise $80,000 in a day and buy a zillion copies and hand them out to everybody. Uh, all the characters are animals, right? Yeah. So the Jews are mice, the Poles are pigs, uh, the Germans are cats, the Americans are dogs. And there's a, there's a scene I remember in the second one where Art Spiegelman's wife, who I think is French, asks him what animal he's going to make her. Uh, and they have a bit, there's a bit of a, a, a contretemps because she has converted to Judaism, so she thinks naturally she should be a mouse, but he thinks she should be what, whatever animal the French are. Frogs. You know, fro- funnily, yes. Funnily enough. Yes. Mm. yes, thank you. Yes, frogs. And so it, it becomes a bit of an issue between them. But it's a, it's a marvellous book. You could probably read it in an hour or two. The artwork is beautiful. I mean, you want to race through the story, but lingering on various panels is uh, rewarding as well. Uh, I'm sure most people have come across this book in their life but it's worth a, a revisit um, just to clarify when when it was actually published so mm, he yes. serialized mouse from 1980 until 91 in mm-hmm. raw yep. um, and then collected the first six chapters uh, in a book form in 1986 and then a second volume in 91 and then the Pulitzer came in 92. There you go. Okay, that's good. It's a good clarification for people. I, I think that type of thing's really important. <laughs> I, no, Are you no, being no, ironic? No, no. Actually, I'm, I'm being actually serious. I think it's really important that this album came out in 1966 <laughs> and not 1967. That kind of thing actually does matter to me. Does it? <laughs> Sound well, Effects by The Jam came out in 1980. Yes, okay. great album. Setting Suns came out in 1979. Indeed. And you, you don't want to mix that up, no. do you? No, that, otherwise you start thinking that Eaton Rifles came after going underground or was it the other way around? Well, there's an EP, funny you should say this, called Four Side Effects, which has Eaton Rifles mm. going underground, start, and oh, one more. That's entertainment. Oh, so, what, what, a, what an EP. That was the first record I bought by The Jam, that, that four-track EP released probably just for Australia. You, po- you possibly could have stopped there and you, you would have had the, the essential four. <laughs> I, I will. I, I will meet you on the field of honour. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to say. I'm not. I'm not saying the rest of it is not worth having. I'm just saying. You know, that's they a that's four. a pretty strong set yeah. of four. Yeah. Yeah. They are four yeah. of the great songs. Start was the first song I heard by them, and I saw it on Countdown. And Molly Meldrum was standing on London Bridge, you know, hyperventilating and getting excited. Oh, it's bad. They're at the top of the They're taking lumps for. I couldn't understand what he was saying. A really great band and then the clip came on and it changed my life blew my mind i thought what is, what am i looking at i don't think i've seen anything like this in my life and it just completely changed my life and uh from then on it was um it was a different a different andrew young that you met down at the tube station at midnight <laughs> Look, there's a there's a thousand things I want to say to you. However, I'm just I'm just going to go I'm just going to go straight to the notion of of chronology, right? In in yes, uh, a good place to start, in, in uh, <laughs> and and eventually to finish, um, in in the notion of like uh, musical history. I don't know if you've seen the Todd Haynes doco on the Velvet Underground. Mm-mm, yeah. It's it's like it's superb. I mean, it has yeah, some of the I'm most incredible um, archival footage, uh, which is made all the more remarkable by by virtue of the fact that there is 
almost no footage of them playing live. Um, so there's little little snippets of um, stuff in, in, you know, Warhol's uh, factory and, um, you know, little bits of audio of them playing, in, you know, in San Francisco and so on. Anyway, the, the point I was going to make is simply that there is this, for all the wonder of that film, and there is much, much to admire, there is this really strange sort of, I don't know, I, I, it has to be deliberate, I guess, but the, the chronology of it is really strange. You, you could easily get the impression that the the Velvet Underground with Nico was released in 1964, the way the story unfolds, the way it's told. And it's kind of like, wow, that, that, would, that would have made it, like, I mean, even more revolutionary yes. <laughs> than it was, you know? I, the way you describe that to me, that sounds really annoying uh, for, for someone. I'm, I, I know this stuff. I uh, had a friend who just... As much as I played the jam non-stop at my house, she played Velvet Underground mm. non-stop at her house. The four albums, am I right? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, four. Yes, yes. I think the, uh, I think there might be a fifth that was released without John Cale and without Lou Reed. Um, oh, okay, all right, yeah. But, but yeah, so I, I I would be interested in that film, but I, but I. I mean, it doesn't need to be. They this is the day they formed and ends on the day they break up. But you know, it sounds like it's a bit confu- unnecessarily confusing. And also, no music. No, no, there's music. There's absolutely oh, music. Oh, no, oh, no, no, okay. I'm saying there's right, not. Right. There's not much by way of live performance oh, footage. Okay. Right, right. No, 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 no. There's but, definitely but, music. There's, there's plenty of right plenty scene, of music. Do you think? Yeah, there is. A, there is a fifth album called Squeeze, which was uh, okay. released after both of them had left. So. I wasn't going to mention this, but since you've brought it up, especially about music in documentaries. No, it's my fault. Yeah, it's your fault. <laughs> I, watched, I watched a documentary called After the Screaming Stops. Have you heard this documentary? Luke and Matt Goss, collectively known Oh, Bross. Bross. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen this, right. There is a documentary and it... To, 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 to make it simple, quick and easy, it is like... Spinal Tap and the David Brent movie put together with no sense of irony or humour. It is an astonishing piece of work. At, at is it good? At, oh, it's really good in the sense that you're looking at two people who are miserable, two miserable, uh, presumably wealthy, successful men whose lives have not really been the same since the end of their group. Yeah. And who are reforming for a concert, you know, a one-off concert at the O2 Arena or something like whatever it's called in London, yeah, right? Yeah. And they are more often than not at each other's throats. They have a, a, a the, the word hubris isn't enough to describe their own sense of destiny <laughs> and excellence and power. The uh, Matt Goss uses these um, amazing um, desktop calendar philosophies to describe how he lives his life and how he sees his life. <laughs> and you, if you wanted to make fun, this is the, this is the really sad thing is you, you couldn't if you deliberately were trying to make fun of these two guys, you couldn't have done a better job. You couldn't do any better than they've done in tracking a straight serious documentary on these two brothers and their toxic relationship and them coming together to perform a concert for all their fans but the thing is at the end of it or even at halfway through it you don't 
you, you, you would think that at some point you'd start to feel contemptuous and superior to these deluded ex-rock stars, but you don't. You actually feel some sympathy for them and a feeling of, well, if not kindness, a feeling of compassion towards these, these spoiled boys who are, have an unnerving sense of getting the, like saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. It's, it's, absolutely enjoyable do you feel kind of protective of them almost like oh don't say that don't say that a couple of times you go why did you say that why 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 do you think you were because people apparently and i'm not an expert on this band at all apparently they were really hated people would ring up radio stations and say i hope there's a plane crash with one of them in it so that this band doesn't exist anymore and then they'd just be called bro Bro, they were hated and they got a lot of hate mail. Obviously, this is in the 1980s, so before the internet. And and there was a, a, a they were a, a joke, even even though they had so millions of records and had lots of fans. I, I, it wasn't my type of music, but there's hardly any of it in this documentary. There's this little shaving of one song. Now I, I'm aware of maybe three hits that they had, and at the very end of the gig. Of any of the, of the film, you get footage of the big gig, and it's it's successful. Like um, it seems like it's it's a sellout. Lots of people everywhere, and they play the big famous song. But you know, normally these films throughout, you're going to hear you're going to hear as an underscore of music of the band as they're being interviewed about this and that. And it really is. It's 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 not car crash television because you're not really reveling in seeing them humiliate themselves and 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 make awkward and embarrassing blunders. Yeah. But like I say, maybe I'm different. Maybe I'm a different man now um, than when we last spoke. But I certainly <laughs> wasn't like enjoying these people making fools of themselves. So, so you've camera. you've shed some Schadenfreude. Is that is that what you're telling me? I think I've got to the Schadenfreude shed just near the lemon tree. <laughs> Schadenfreude. And and. <laughs> Uh, padlocked it up and uh, I'm not going in there anymore. I've got a different shed. It's the sharing shed. (laughs) And I go in there and share. Uh, It'll make you a nicer person, but it might make you a worse podcast host. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure. I won't do the podcast from the sharing shed. I'll stay here in room D and do it from here. (laughs) Tap tap into your inner misanthrope. He's in there somewhere. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. I think it's on SBS. Right, right. I, I, I really do suggest. Uh, like, I'm not a fan. I, I don't know this stuff. Like, I don't think you need to know this band at all, ever. Uh, if, if, but, but really, it's about an hour and a half of really well spent. I think you know it might improve your life by watching this. Well, Andrew, it, it might be a bit of a lateral leap, but picking mm-hmm. up on what you're talking about, um, sort of much reviled figures, yeah, uh, who you find yourself somewhat empathising with, Mm-mm. the eyes of Tammy Faye, okay, with, yeah. about the televangelist Tammy Faye Baker, uh, whose husband Jim, um, and uh, well, the two of them had this uh, incredibly popular and successful televangelist operation in the 1970s, and particularly in the 1980s. It all came crashing down in allegations of corruption, uh, siphoning off funds to live a lavish lifestyle, sexual harassment. There were 
claims made uh, about Jim having um, had homosexual relations with young men, although those never, to the best of my knowledge, never stacked up. Um, Basically, it's a a great crash and burn narrative, and they became a huge punchline um, on, you know, late night TV uh, in the sort of late 80s, I think it was 87, 86 or 87 when it all came tumbling down. The Eyes of Tammy Faye originally was the name of a of a documentary made in uh, 2000 and this film uh, with Jessica Chastain playing Tammy Faye Baker oh, and oh, Andrew a, Garfield playing Jim right? Baker yeah. Um, yeah. is basically it draws from that doco um, and as far as I can see it it, it, it hoves pretty closely to the facts of the, of the story um, it's quite remarkable and I think driven by a, an extraordinary performance by Chastain who who um, has prosthetics that give her these really bizarre chubby cheeks she looks almost like a chipmunk <laughs> I remember Tammy Faye as as having s- sort of a fringe and a bit of a bob to the ears or to the chin and then then those big cheeks I remember how she looks the opening scene of the film Chastain as as Tommy Faye sitting in a, a makeup chair about to be interviewed and um, you know the the um, makeup artist is looking to remove her makeup and she says we we'll just take this off and and she says oh no you can't you can't take off my eye makeup that's their permanent and <laughs> And then she tries to take the lipstick off, and it turns out that the the lining of her lips has been uh, permanently tattooed on as well. Uh, so there's this kind of mm. like very strange, you get this immediate kind of um, the sort of the clown aspect of her is uh, right there up front, and you kind of go, "Oh, this is going to be an absolute takedown. This movie It's going to be just shredding her." And it actually, from there, peels back to bring you closer and closer to kind of feeling something for her. You know, here's a woman who may or may not have been an active participant I mean she was certainly an active participant in the in the uh, the money that flowed from the organization it certainly paints a picture that she didn't understand or pay much attention to how that money came her way she just was very very assiduous in spending it um the marcos style a bit oh, i think i think with the marcos she was probably much more um uh, directly involved in the the ill getting this, this constructs a kind of largely plausible narrative in which she's not really across the detail of that sort of stuff at all could she have made herself more interested in it perhaps so absolutely um but her her involvement is driven by a, what appears to be a genuine belief that God talks to her uh, okay. and has called her to mission. What's, I think, probably the most remarkable aspect of it, and in a way probably one of the things that is most sort of central in, in sort of uh, redeeming her in some ways, and and should point out that she's dead, so there's not there's oh, no, di- there's oh, no okay. direct gain for her in any of this. Oh, um, okay, I didn't know that. She was quite outspoken in supporting gay people at, at a time when the standard position of, of um, evangelical Christianity was that they will burn in hell for yeah. their sins. There's a scene in, in the film that is apparently a very, very accurate recreation of an actual interview that she did with a a guy who um, had HIV. And she's, you know, she's, she sobs in the, in the middle of this interview because, you know, she identifies with him and, and wants him to feel God's love. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's quite remarkable, I think. I mean, to take somebody who is so reviled, and and that we all kind of, well, not maybe maybe not all, but many of us would think we have a we have a handle on, and to actually paint quite a different portrait of her, not one that is without blemishes by any means, but one that makes her seem a bit more than the cartoon character or the clownish character, because you know the makeup is 
pretty horrendous, it must be said. Um, but it makes it feel a little, bo- a little bit more um, substantial than that and more worthy of, of uh, giving, giving it a little bit of a, a break to in some ways. We're recording this a couple of days before the Oscar nominations are announced, uh, but I would be astonished if Jessica Chastain is not in the running for Best Actress for this role. Ah, okay. Well, that's... Um, I'm I, I'm always open to watching something that Jessica Chastain is in, mm. and I remember those days of the uh, the Reagan years. Yeah, people like Jerry Falwell. Yeah, uh, well, he figures in this in a big way, played yeah. by Vincent D'Onofrio. You know, wielded a huge amount of power over the uh, president and Reagan and his wife, but she also had her own astrologer, so mm. it wasn't just the Lord who was speaking to her. I, you know, it's funny. I watched a film last night about a woman who spoke with God and who God spoke back to, and felt that she was doing God's work. This was Harriet Tubman, who decided that freeing slaves was the work God wanted her to do. Yep. The film's called Harriet. It came out a couple of years ago. Um, that was great. That was, I, I, I'm sure most people have seen that already by now. Um, well, I haven't seen it. Oh, haven't you? No, no, no. I'm aware of it, but I haven't seen it. Uh, the English actress who plays her is magnificent. Now, speaking about use of music, the use of music in this film is incredible. There's a cappella scene she uses to, to communicate with uh, people in the fields or her family without it appearing that she's trying to send a message and there's some chapel singing and the music is fantastic. But it's, uh, it's about uh, a young woman who was under the impression that... Uh, when her mother reaches a certain age, she will be freed from the, the slave owner who mm-hmm. owns her. And it starts off with a letter from a lawyer saying, yes, the mother has reached this age and she is now no longer a slave because her husband is a free man and she can now go. And the, 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 the slave owner just rips up the letter and laughs at her and the slave owner's son comes and hits her and beats her and the, she eventually escapes. And she makes it uh, to Philadelphia and she, after a while, decides that she needs to keep going back and bringing people, bringing slaves uh, on this underground railway, so to speak, up to the northern states where they'll be safe. And it's a very emotional, powerful, dramatic film, and it, it's it's great. It's, it's, it's Cynthia Erivo who um, yes. um, it, it plays Harriet Tubman, and she she was actually nominated for two Oscars for this. I I remember her at that at watching when I was watching that ceremony because she cut st- a striking figure. She has her yeah. hair shaved quite close to her skull, and not at all like a, a, her character Harriet Tubman. Mm. And her singing voice is. Man, yeah, well, she was nominated for Best Song and for Best uh, Actress. Yeah. yeah. There's a song at the end of the film that she and a few other people composed, a kind of uplifting uh, type of spiritual chant with, you know, uh, more 21st century technological influences. But it's really good. Really, Yeah, some of these films uh, you might come across and go, oh, God, that's a bit, that's a bit depressing. It's about slavery. Yeah. God. It's not. It's completely uplifting. And maybe if, it, if at times it is depressing, well, you know, we shouldn't turn our heads away from that. She's um, English, um, yeah. Cynthia Revo. She, I, I know her from Widows and um, from The Outsider, which was the Stephen King series with Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, did you see that? I did see that. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, where she played the that's psychic right. kind she of. She did, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Detective. Now, now, yeah. I'd, forgot, I'd forgot about that show. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I wasn't going to mention it because it's a bit old, but uh, Mouse is a bit old, isn't it? Oh, well, you know, we're a bit old. That's we're okay. We're all a bit old, aren't we, Carl? Let's, let's, not, let's not go hard on the aged. 
you know. I'll tell you what's not old. Mustard dogs. <laughs> Mustard dogs. I don't have a dog, Carl. I'm allergic to dogs. I can't be anywhere near them. Or cats or horses. As my friend said yesterday, the fun animals. I can't be near any of the fun animals. But I can watch them on telly and get some vicarious pleasure from their romping and their gambling about. My wife has fallen in love with this show. Should I tell people what it's about? Uh, yes, of course. You should tell people what it's about. So there are these pups... And they're distributed to cattle stations across Australia and the people who run the cattle, and, and not one one freelance uh, cattle trainer or musterer or jillaroo, I'm not sure what the correct term is. Uh, she <laughs> I, lives think, I of, think you've covered most of them, cowboy, you know. She lives, she lives out of a van. Uh, she doesn't have a farm. But Rustler. <laughs> all these pups are distributed across this wide brown Aussie land under the hot Aussie sun. Oh, I love a sunburnt country. <laughs> And they have to be trained in this special way and satisfy these criteria. It's a bit of a competition because we love a competition in Australia and there's a bit too much recapitulation as you get in these type of competition shows, you know, the ones of MasterChef. And- Do the dogs get to talk about how far they've come on their journey and whether they're ready to leave the Master Dog they do. competition they, they, yet? What, what they do is they usually start off with something that happened in their past that makes them really sad, like one of them may have been separated from their mum early. And, and they, and they really, tear up while talking they about, do, they I do wanted all. to do this for all the other bitches out there. Exactly, exactly. I'm so glad you said that and not me. Uh, so it's true to the, the format of your of your uh, I'm a celebrity get me out of here type <laughs> show. We have the sitting around the dogs around the campfire while them. I just love you guys so much. And I, I just need to tell you something that happened to me. It might explain why I was being such an asshole all day. But when I was so that's on the I'm ABC. I do I do know what what network. I'm I'm a terrible user of the television, aren't I? I don't know what what anything's on, and I just go through each one. What was I watching before? What ones? Uh, but I've started saving things. That, you know, I've started to click yeah. add to my list or or whatever you do. Each station has its own type of system. You know. Uh, well, I bought myself a, a like a new TV with you know oh. onboard smart thing for the first time um, from England. No, no, no. Before I went to England, <laughs> An English and, TV. Yeah, I, I brought it back in my carry-on <laughs> luggage. <laughs> I brought my brought my sixty oh five inch Sony TV back <laughs> in my carry on luggage, just in a little handbag. Sixty five inches, Carl. Sixty five inches sizes you and everything, size. Andrew. But You're I a size queen, Carl. It is. It is. Awesome. I wouldn't say it's changed my life, but it has certainly improved the viewing, which I have to do in great quantities yeah. for my working life. Yeah, it's and, your job, man. You'll be yeah. able to claim that on text. Uh, but what it means is I've just got every damn streaming app is on on this TV now, and it's just like endless. And, I, and I, there's no escaping the fact. I just look at it and go, wow, I've got a lot of those things going on. I've got a lot. Yeah, you have to. Obviously, yeah. you have to be a me- member or, or sign up to them. They yeah. don't just give Sony. Don't, get un- don't misunderstand us. You buy a Sony TV, they're not going to give you Netflix and Foxtel, and you have to still pay Netflix and Foxtel for those those channels, right? I, I oh God, what am I? What am I paying for? Disney, Apple, uh, Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, Stan. Um, uh, well, some some others I can't remember now, um, and uh, I've got a I've got a voucher somewhere for a Paramount Plus that I've got to redeem and set that up. And well, it is your job. It again, is. It know. is. If, it if is. If you're an ordinary man, that would be kind of sad. <laughs> you're a 
you're, you're a special man, Carl. And it's still very, a bit sad. You're a very special man. Uh, I, let me tell you, I have uh, a, tele- I, a year or so ago uh, replaced the television and it's uh, that we had uh, for 10 years or so, and it's a Sony television because they are the best. And it is a smart television in the sense that you can talk to it and it will do what you want in terms of finding the show. Yeah. And it has the apps and everything, except I somehow disabled the talk to it part, which I don't actually mind. I, I don't mind that, that I can't talk to the TV and it talks back. I don't really want that in my life. <laughs> but when the man came, I paid a man. I don't often pay a the man, man to do things, yeah. but I paid the man to come and install a heavy-duty bracket on the wall to hang the television from. Mm. Right, um, he came in and he had a look at the wall. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I think you'd probably do all right with this small one. I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> how big it's was probably, it? Well, I, I thought it was big. I thought I'd bought a big television, but it's uh, fifty-five inches. Oh, it's right? a titch. Which is, it's a titch. Which is honestly, like. Uh, almost embarrassing. You don't want to go down the pub, apparently, and tell people you have a 55-inch screen. <laughs> no one's going to want to come to your house and watch the grand final. You know? no, no. But it was so funny how he was placating me for my small yeah. screen. Uh, I thought, wow, well, I thought I'd like, trade it, it up at you, least. You weren't standing inches. side by side at the urinal while this conversation was happening, were you? <laughs> no, we, we don't have a urinal. Yeah, in okay. House, no. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I... I, I it, Frankly, I think it's fine for the size of this room. I think if it were any bigger, it would be bizarre. It is. So. It is a um, uh, look. It's it's remarkable. I, I had a I had a forty six inch TV before this, and for a period, I set up the new one, and I had the other one sitting on the floor, and I yeah. realised that I could have turned it on its side and mm. get two of them in in the same space. <laughs> I did the same remarkable. thing. And, and uh, we had a 40-inch television that I thought was a completely normal size yeah. for a television. <laughs> and I had it down on the floor next to this new one. I thought, my God, it's like a computer monster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm really pleased because I, I know that room that you have your television yep. in, and I think it's probably – I don't think it would over – it wouldn't dominate the room to – Great. No, no. It feels it feels like it's a it's a great size. It's perfect. I think mm. I think any bigger would probably be too big. Um, and you know, I'm I'm not in any sense thinking. Oh, I wish I got a smaller one. It it feels mm. it feels great. I, I can't imagine you ever wishing you had a smaller one. <laughs> <laughs> had to be oh dear, had to be dear, oh now dear. when when you've um, set up your amp and subwoofer and your surround sound speakers. Mm. Give me a call, I'll come over, we can watch some um, special effects movie. I, t- I tell you what, I'm actually really trying to work out how to set up, and I don't think mm. it's possible. I was trying to I was trying to get um, the microphones for uh, the SingStar microphones, which for the PlayStation. I was trying uh-huh. to get them to sync um, via Bluetooth with the TV yeah. so mm-hmm. that I could use a karaoke app instead yep. of yep. using the PlayStation. And uh, I don't think it's possible. So, if there's any, like, genius listener out there mm. who knows mm. how to do that or knows if it's even possible, let us who know. Who even knows what he's talking about. <laughs> if there's anybody out there who knows what this man is talking about, please get in touch and give him a hand because I don't know what, what language he's speaking uh, right now. It'll be the only time anybody ever gives me a hand for anything karaoke related, I can assure you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Clappers. We're back and you'll hear from us again real soon.